0: All right, everybody, it's relationship time. And today's lesson is I have really fucking smart friends, friends who run massive, massive eight and nine figure companies like the one on today's podcast. And he breaks it down at a level that you won't even believe. We talked about how you can design your life with intention, not by accident. The two major elements that determine if you can drive a relationship quickly, how prolonged exposure is the secret to success. Just because you're uncomfortable in the moment doesn't mean you should stop. Perfection is the enemy of greatness. And then to have a standard of perfection is to have no standard at all. We talk about e-commerce, mistakes that are made, how to design your life, how to get results, and how to get everything that you want in one jam-packed episode. So without further ado, I'm going to invite you to go listen to this one, and I want you to share it. Send it to five friends, and I mean it. Fucking send it to five friends please? Because this one is loaded with nuggets and your friends are going to think you're a genius for sharing this wisdom and implementing it with them. So without further ado, let's cue the intro and let's get into the episode.
1: Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth Is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes, guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. Today, I'm one of the most interesting men in the world, and I believe he's the only man on
0: planet Earth that can pull off a mohawk better than me. From mountain climber to adventurer to riding a bike across the country to doing Everesting times two to raise money and awareness for autism, being one of the dopest human beings, a relationship master, and a guy I met when I bumped into him at a line at a coffee shop. And my wife's like, do you know Brad? And I'm like, I don't, but apparently Brad knows everybody. And so today I'm honored to be joined by my friend Brad. So Brad, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, man. Always good to hang out. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I'm stoked to have you. And this is like, I feel like I'm getting like gifts because it's the second time we've talked in two weeks because I was on your show and I like getting my fix of Brad. Yeah. So nice. I might even like swing by the office because I'm, I'm doing an impromptu surprise trip to Austin next week. And so I might text you and it's like, what's the address? I'll come swing by for a hug. Oh,
2: you should for sure.
0: Yeah. And then, um, so I know what you do. I know how you do it. We'll get into that. Uh, later, you found Easy Pay Direct, all of it. But one of the things that I fucking love about you, and I feel like you've been in this game just as long as me, is, is you said this thing on your website, and I saw it the other day. And you're like, I can think of every experience, every business, everything I've ever done, and it's always come back to a relationship. Yeah. And I just want you to expand on that one for a minute because everybody I know knows you. Everybody. <laughs> one way shape, the way that we roll in circles, they're like, Oh, Brad's got an answer. Oh, Brad knows, Brad knows, Brad knows like you embody and master this. And so has it always been that way? Is it something that you've always prioritized from the beginning or like, how did you get to that point?
2: Uh, no, um, (laughs) very much not. (laughs) And I think that, (laughs) uh, I think like, um, most things in my life, uh, there was a deliberate approach to it. And so, uh, you know, I, I take pride in trying to be deliberate in how I tackle things and I'd like to find myself, um, you know, 10 years from now in a place that I chose to be in, as opposed to just end up somewhere. Um, so probably, uh, 15 years ago, I started, uh, going on these sort of serious adventure, like, uh, endurance athletic adventures. and. Uh, at some point, you know, people ask you when you do weird physical shit, <laughs> they're like, why do you do that? And so, some of it is sort of casual and passing. And then some are, you know, seriously confused and baffled by it. And some are actually critiquing. And, uh, so I had to reflect on it and think, well, why do I do this? You know, because I, I was giving these off the cuff uh, answers and like, you know, to see if I can and to push myself and cause I'm a badass. And, uh, and those were not adequate answers for me. So as I dug in, I thought about what I was really getting out of these, like, you know, significant, um, endurance adventures in my life. And what I realized was that the biggest thing that I was getting were deeper relationships. Mm. And that led me down this path of thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to these crazy lengths, ultimately because they fuel relationships. you know, what is it about that that's valuable to me? And as I thought more and more about it, uh, I got into this game of, well, what are the other things that are important in my life? And um, how does that tie into this notion of relationships being the important thing? And what I came to was that everything in my life, every major business experience, every personal growth experience, every um, valuable thing in my life can be tracked back to some relationship that I have. And had I not had it, I wouldn't have found myself in that place. Um, And so years ago with that recognition, I started deliberately creating the experiences to make sure that I was investing in the relationships, building the relationships and designing environments that would fuel that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was, that's big. I mean, it was big for me. And it's uh, truthfully, it, it's a, uh, I make an effort to align that behavior with my business life. Um, and sometimes it feels easy and sometimes it feels like, you know, I I, I'm blowing off the office to go be social and there's a push-pull there. And so Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a dance.
0: Yeah. When you say uh intentionally creating those experiences, like I I think about this, right? Like I trademarked relationships beat algorithms, but it's it's very much an a science and an art form, right? And so when you're thinking about the harmony of like running easy, pay direct or going into these experiences, like, what do you do? Or what do you think about when you're designing these things? Like, how are you trying to structure? Are you trying to create connection? Like when you're like, when you go get coffee, is it by design? When you go speak on stage, is it by design? Like what goes into your thinking when it comes to embodying that kind of relationship ethos and like, how do you do it? Um,
2: So I believe that there are, uh, two major elements to driving relationships quickly. And I, let me reframe that and say, there are two major elements to, uh, figuring out whether or not you are going to connect with somebody quickly, (laughs) because there are people that you just, you know, you're not a good fit for, right. Or I'm not a good fit for, and that's great, but I'd rather find that out right away than have this sort of half-ass belabored commitment to trying to connect with somebody. Yeah, like if it's if it's not a good um, you know, business client fit or it's not a good human-to-human fit, fuck it. Let's cut it off. There are enough people in this world, enough other prospects in this world. Let's move on. Mm. Um so the the two elements for me are, I believe, that drive relationships quickly are unique experiences and emotional engagement. And unique experiences can be as simple as Uh, if, if you and I go to, um, a brand new place that we've never been to, that is gonna stand out in our minds because you and I are new to this place. And so it's a unique experience in, in this place. Um, if you go to, you know, picnic in Austin and you've never been there before, it becomes a unique space. But if I've been there 15 times, it's not unique for me. Mm. Um, and if we've both been there a lot, if I throw a coffee at the wall, like that's a silly example, but we're going to remember that Brad threw a coffee at the wall during this one time, right? Yeah. So it doesn't have to be this epically unique thing. It's just anything that stands out in your mind, right? And the more unique, I think, the more likely it is to stand out. Um, and emotional engagement uh, can be a lot of things. In in On the small scale, it can be uh, opening up vulnerab- vulnerably, right? It can be sharing something challenging. It can be energy and excitement that uplifts, but again, it's this thing that is different than the norm. Um, and my chosen, uh, mechanism for this, uh, that I think is the most fun are these adventures, right? And when I do endurance adventures, dude, I'll tell you (laughs) when you're five hours into a run or sweating and you're with somebody. You get pretty emotionally raw and you're going to behave in some, you know, early internally, uh, stressed version of yourself. And you get this real raw version and it either connects you with the person you're with or it pushes you away. Uh, but, uh, those are, I think those are the elements for me.
0: Yeah, I love it. You know, it's it's even to like summarize it down, like one of my favorite ones when you talk about in the very beginning, like not every relationship is yours, right? I had a shaman say this to me. It's like every relationship happens for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, and it's not our job to dictate which one. Mm. And I know in the early stages of my entrepreneurial career, I just wanted to quote unquote be friends with everybody, but I was basically hoarding emptiness, right? Mm. And it was the word that you use was belabored, right? It was like I was emptying myself and pouring into things that weren't getting poured back into but there was never really a, a reason for them to exist there was no reason whatsoever minus that like hoarding the acquaintance potential and so right. when you said that earlier when you say like going deep and raw like one of my favorite things to do is like at the coffee shop sounds like hey man how's your morning i'm like it's been fucking hard i'm happy to be here but jesus i just want a break and they do one of two things they're either like They stop the conversation. I'm like, well, you really didn't want to know how my morning was. Or two, they lean all the way in and you see this, like, like this eyes light up, right? And they're like, oh my God, this is a real person. That's not this, some transaction of like holding the door. Yeah. And so when I do it, that's why I made that hoodie unapologetically authentic. I'm like, if you meet me. You're going to know all of me very, very quickly because we're going to figure out really quickly if this is a fit, right? Pink shoes, mohawk, swearing, dropping it. And <laughs> I'm an open book. And so I love that. I, I love it. It's so huge. So unique experiences and then emotional engagement. Now, I have a question about the endurance stuff, right? I've done crazy things. I tied a world record for a standing box jump. Like I remember in Afghanistan, like I on a video
2: video oh, yeah, didn't happen. Good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it happened in Afghanistan and it happened by accident. So it was like 2010 and I started CrossFit in Afghanistan. Cause of course that was like at the peak for the military. So they were building us these CrossFit gyms in the middle of the desert. And we were doing uh fight gone bad and we didn't have enough boxes. So there were only like five boxes. And so I used a shipping container, which was like only like 40 inches. Right. But I was like, oh, I'll do it. And when we finished the workout, we got into a pissing match and we're like, well, who can jump higher? And so we just started stacking weights on top of it without any thought of anything going on. And there were probably six or seven of us out there. And I jumped the highest and we measured it and it was 53 inches. And I didn't train. I didn't do anything. And so that night, one of my Marines went and Googled it. And they're like, you know, the world record's only 56 inches. And I was like, what? That's three inches. No shit. The one thing to remember, though, when you get to that height, you, it'll take an inch a year to gain because there's mm. a lot that goes into it. But I was like, I'm going to do this and I knew and you and I were talking about this before we recorded about like this personal accountability and having it built in. I knew that if I didn't say anything, I'd never do it. So I went and told my command that I was going to tie the world record. Well, they told the fucking news stations back in the U.S., oh, that's and so, good. so this whole story started spinning. Uh, Staff Sergeant, US Marine in Afghanistan, aiming to tie the world record. And I was like, shit, we got to do this now because I had an interview in like four months with like uh, the Boston Globe and everything else. And so we would do crazy stuff like that. I did end up tying it. And then the guy who held it, Ryan Moody, was waiting and he'd been training for like two years. So I tied it and then he broke it like a week later and added like three inches. And I was like, all right, you know what? My glory days are gone. He's got four inches on me. Like I said, I did it. But. The reason I'm saying this is like uh, there's this Japanese term called the Masogi, right? It's like going out, doing hard things, uh, challenging yourself, pushing yourself. And I know in those like hard endurance events, right? It's an amazing place to connect with a lot of other people. But I have found that in those, they've also been extremely rewarding for me building a deeper relationship with myself, like pushing past the edge and finding what's there. What's that like for you? Because I know what you've done from riding across the country to climbing what? What was it? 56,000 feet in 36 hours up Stratton, Mountain.
2: Yeah, f- 58, but you know, we're, we're yeah. what, no, what 2000 feet.
0: Yeah, no, 58,000 feet. Everybody was doing it once to do Everest. And you're like, I'm going to do it twice, right? Like, what's your process like going into that? And like, how is that relationship with yourself? Because they've been some of the most rewarding parts of my life is doing those hard things. But is it the same for you now? Like you find something deeper, you find a lot of value in like going out and doing that by yourself and the training and the process of it. But like, what's that like for you?
2: Um, you know, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll start by saying that, uh, when I say it's about relationships, uh, within that, I include the relationship of myself, yep. um, for sure. And it, you know, so it, it's a huge component to it. Um. And it's not just the event, it's the training too, right? It's the commitment to, um, training through it. And one of the things that, uh, the, one of the reasons that I think that I like endurance as opposed to these short bursts, uh, is because you have to live in the space. And, you know, if you, if I wanna go push the limit and see how fast I can run for, you know, a, a 10 K. It's a really finite amount of time. And yes, the intensity level is going to be much higher. Um, heart rate is going to be much higher, but it's short, right? It's like the, the mentality of, can I do this for another two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes hour is very different than the mentality of, oh, I'm just going to be here for another 20 hours. Right. (laughs) Uh, it's a very different headspace, And so I look at, uh, I look at the. (laughs) I look at those things as, um, the phrase I use is the inevitable suck. And it's not a question of when this particular event is going to suck. It's, a, 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 or it's not a question of if it's going to suck. It's when it's going to suck, um, and learning to be comfortable in that space. Um, and I think that that's a, uh, the, the lesson that crosses boundaries into the rest of life and into business is just because you're uncomfortable in the moment. Doesn't mean that you need to stop in the moment, and it certainly doesn't mean that it's the wrong activity or wrong behavior to be doing, just because you're uncomfortable in the moment.
0: So uh, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Keep, keep well, going. I'm just going to ask you to go.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say. So I'm, so I'm uh, in some respects looking for those things, and I think that the, the, the challenge that I have at this point is twofold. One is that uh, while it de- definitely crosses boundaries, it's become clear to me that I can do it in the physical side, Uh, and it's very different in the emotional side, right? Or the focus uh, uh, component of business, right? So if I'm sitting and I lose focus after an hour, that becomes much more frustrating to me than if I'm, you know, exercising for five hours and I know I have to go for eight, right? That's, it's a, I know that I can do it. And I think the only thing that's true there is that I have many, many, many more reference points on the physical side indicating to me that I can do it. And even though I can logically connect the dots from one to the other, I don't have the same reference points, and I think that that's the you know that's the fuel that I have in a physic from a physical perspective.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so then when you come over into like business, and we'll get into what you do in a minute, I can imagine. How long have you been doing endurance events like this? By the way,
2: Um, you know I go through I go through spurts with them, but uh, the first one was two thousand seven. So I sort of randomly got uh, randomly invited myself on a bicycle ride from Los Angeles to Boston. Um, I had never been on a road bike before, uh, ever. And my, a friend of mine, who's a crazy adventurer, this guy, Carl drew. Um, I saw him and I was like, so what, you know, what crazy shit are you doing next? And he goes, oh, well, I'm riding a bicycle from Los Angeles to Boston. And my, you know, somewhat retarded brain thought, oh, I know how to ride a bicycle. I could do that. Um, you know, omitting this huge chunk of information, which is, I had never been on a road bike ever. It was just, to me, it was a bicycle. Sure. I can just ride a bicycle. Um, so that was the beginning. And, uh, but, but, you know, I think in the last five, six, seven years, uh, it's become more appealing and I've also made, this is around maybe eight years ago, around the time when I had this revelation that I wanted to have more deliberate things to build those relationships, um, uh, so probably, you know, that period.
0: Yeah, because I was gonna say, because like in the beginning, didn't you get started in entrepreneurship, like doing sales for a company? Yeah, and then very quickly went from like I'm doing sales to like number one out of thirty thousand people.
2: Yes, so I so I grew up in sales in uh, with Vector Marketing, which okay. is Cutco. Um, oh,
0: got it. Okay.
2: Yep, and so I, uh, and oddly, my my first Cutco manager ever. Uh, has been in town all weekend, so I've gotten to hang out with him. He's a very, very good friend now. Uh, but uh, a bunch, there are a bunch of people that I, you know, were sort of in that ecosystem that are all very close. So John Rulin, Hal Elrod, um, this kid John Burgoff. this kid, we're all forty now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, uh, was wait was Hal in the Cutco world too? Oh yeah, I didn't know Hal was in there. From Cutco to Miracle Morning, that's a that's a good one
2: that's a good how was uh yeah how was uh i met hal in 1999 whoa um, yep at uh maybe maybe early 2000 at a uh national conference in laguna beach and uh yeah and uh we've we've been friends since and now I, hal lives in austin yeah and
0: uh is equally crazy but in a different way hal and i used to be neighbors in temecula so we were uh, oh we, no like, shit yeah i would i would see him around town and bump into him and uh yeah, it was a small world. Now I'm just hiding in Montana. He's in Austin, but Austin's my second home that I refuse to take residency up in because plane tickets are really easy to get there, but I'm not moving there and you know, we're good. So that's where I am.
2: Well, in fairness, he is also kind of hiding in Austin. He's not really in Austin. He's out in the middle of nowhere now.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. I I think that's been like the the clutch move for everybody. So I have a, I have a, a, I have a question about this Cutco thing, right? Like I was never in like an MLM, never in like Cutco, never anything like that. Pampered Chef stuff. How quickly? So, like, I kind of want to know a little bit because I feel like there's some massive lessons in here. So you come in a Cutco, and then very quickly, you kind of elevate up. And I know relationships are the secret, but that's a pretty doggy dog world. That was like pre-internet, really. That was like door-to-door connection. Oh yeah. Like, what was that like for you? And like, where did you invest your time? Or what do you think are the principles that like led to that success that you still carry forth today?
2: Yeah, I think that there are two really important sides of this. And the first is um, Vector Marketing as a company. And so Vector Marketing is the the marketing arm of Cutco. They are okay. responsible for all of the sales of Cutco. And Vector as an organization is a, is a it's different today than it was, but it is a brilliant uh, structured led organization. Um, they largely leveraged college students in the summer and, uh, they are, but they're really a, uh, management recruiting training sales organization, right? So they would recruit 30,000 college kids a year. They'd train them to go sell knives door to door basically. And, uh, and have this whole sales infrastructure to keep the kids engaged. And the, both the sales training, uh, and the leadership, the awards, the recognition, the ceremonies, uh, are what do it, right? Look, the product is amazing. Like really, truly the, the Cutco product is guaranteed forever. It's us made. It's, you know, the, the best deal you're gonna buy it's guaranteed forever. Did I say that?
0: Yeah, you did. Uh, It sounds like you used to work at Cutco.
2: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the, you know, the it's a tangible product. So you can use it, see it, compare and contrast what you have. And it's notably better almost always. Um, So there's that, right. But to keep kids engaged to do this on a commission only endeavor, you've got to be running a good organization. And um, so I have a a lot of respect for that system. And I learned a lot of things there. Um, Namely, when you're working with 18 to 22 year olds, uh, you need to teach the fundamentals of life. So, you know, scheduling, discipline, habits, personal development, all of those things, um, I learned inside the walls of vector marketing and ultimately at the core for me, uh, you know, my, my personality is that if I figure out how to do something and I have a goal, I can just do more of it than other people. Um, and that was it. I got a little competitive and it was like. Oh, you're number one right now. I, I can, I'm definitely better than you. I can do, but I can do more than you. And the irony is that I, I'm not, I, I I've ne- I never thought that I was a better salesperson than the other people. I just knew that I could outwork them mm. um, and I did. Uh, and so that, you know, that there are ups and downs to that today because now the, the goal for me is I can put in the time, but I'm, I struggle on some levels as a CEO to balance me executing versus me leading. Um, and how I perceive those things is a evolution.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm fucking horrible at sales, but I'll out relationship everybody. And so that's basically my whole ethos. I'm like, oh no, no, no. I was like, I just make it either annoy you to the point where you don't want to talk to me anymore, or I know you to the point where you're like, ah, this is really a good decision, but it, it really comes down to work. So now this is kind of a perfect segue. So when did you. So did you go from Vector Marketing or Cutco directly to founding Easy Pay Direct or was there a gap in there?
2: There was, there were a little bit, uh, there were some transitional moments, but it was, it was pretty, pretty much, a uh, for the sake of conversation, it was a direct transition. Okay. And when I got to the end of, um, the Easy Pay or the Cutco era for me, um, I got to this point when I was 22 and. I looked at where I was and I had, if I hammered out college, I had 18 months of 18 credit hour semesters back to back to back to back. But I got to this point when I was 24 and I had finished a year, probably 2004 finished that year. And I realized that if I wanted to do something else, I kind of looked at my assets, my, the inventory of who I was and what I could do. And I realized that I had a list of call it 3000. Mrs. Jones. And I thought, what the fuck am I going to do with the list of 3,000 Mrs. Jones? Uh, And we're sort of at the, you know, the advent of the internet. And so I had friends that were diving into e-com and diving into internet marketing. And I thought, nothing is the answer. I'm going to do nothing with 3,000 Mrs. Jones. (laughs) Uh, And I have no residual income and I'm just hustling. Every year starts over. Um, And uh, am I going to sell knives my whole life? And the answer was no, pretty resounding no for me. So I started to build a list of criteria of things that were important. And that was one of the first things that I did that was critically important as a business person and as a human. And it was stuff like no cap on income, uh, location-independent, recession-resistant, the ability to make a lot of money fast, which payments does not, uh, B2B um, and tech-focused. And B2B was one of the most important elements, because that was the relationship driver. Mm. And the reason that I had B2B on the list is I knew that at the end of whatever thing I did, I wanted a network and a community around me that would allow me to transition to the thing after that, whatever that would be. Um, and to date, that is the most valuable part of my life are the relationships. You know, if, if my world explodes somehow, right, if the company collapses and I you know, make some really, really, really horrible, terrible decisions. Uh, It would take a lot. Um, the worst case scenario for me, like truly worst is I get hired by a friend as a CEO for, you know, a million dollars a year to run a company, um, with plus, you know, plus, plus, plus Mm -hmm. the realistic, uh, worst case right now is that I start another company with other friends and it's fine. But that's all a product of that one criteria that I set in 2006, which was I need to be in B2B. I need to be selling to other entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, I love this. Like even the collapse of like from the beginning of this is like coming back to like designing unique experiences by design, designing life, designing all of it. Like you're now living, you know, 16, 17 years later in a byproduct of the intentionality of like just writing down on that sheet, like what's important to you. And then I think more importantly, having the discipline and the ability to honor that, even if yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel right in that moment. Yep. Yeah, I love yep. that, man. And so just for everybody listening, I didn't do this. Can you explain to everybody what EasyPay Direct is? This amazing company that you run that I refer everybody <laughs> to, but I'm, you're better at
2: it than me. Sure, sure. So uh, EasyPay Direct, I think in simplest forms, helps people accept payments online. And so that's predominantly credit cards and ACH payments. Um are integrating crypto into our stack currently, but um, we really focus on helping people optimize the way that they accept payments online. So uh, there are some core problems that people run into online. And one of them is um, having transactions decline when they shouldn't, if you have a subscription. Another is having your account closed or having money held by your provider. And that is phenomenally common with um, payment facilitators like Stripe or PayPal. Uh, and it happens with tons of merchant account providers, but Stripe and PayPal are fundamentally different. Um, so if you, and I could go down the rabbit hole, but if you Google, you know, Stripe held my money, you will get tens of millions of hits. that happened to you too.
0: Oh yeah. Me too.
2: (laughs) So, you know, we built, uh, built some software and have a service that caters to those businesses and helps, um, helps eliminate that problem, um, or heavily, heavily, heavily reduce it and get people out of tough situations. So, you know, Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, Grant Cardone, uh, Frank Kern, Fortune Builders, you know, Jeff Walker, all like a massive chunk of the info product community uses us for that reason, um, our education community. Um, and then we're very heavy in SaaS. We're very heavy in supplements, um, and some other verticals, but really e-comm in general is, uh, our wheelhouse.
0: And just for the one person listening, uh, or the few, Any, uh, pre qualifying, like somebody has to be doing five grand a month, 10 grand a month, or what's that like for you guys?
2: Yeah. Great question. So I'd say that, um, until you're probably doing 250 grand a year, so, you know, 20 to 30 grand a month, uh, it just doesn't matter that much, like truly, you know, use Stripe or PayPal or whoever until you're at that, you know, 10, 20, 30 grand a month, and then worry about this problem. Um, we have the biggest impact for businesses that are a million and up. Um, and I, I usually it's a million to about a hundred million where the impact is like, um, you know, we are, our clients are our evangelists in that, in that wheelhouse. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just look, if you're under two fifty a year and truly, if you're under half a million or a million a year, um, don't focus on how you can save a couple bucks, focus on how you can grow. Like you need to not pay attention to the details as much as you think you do. And you need to focus on eliminating the noise and just fucking growing. Um, and it's a super common mistake.
0: Yeah, I was actually just going to ask you to unpack this because I, I love the seat that you sit in as like the CEO of EasyPay Direct and what you do. But you've also been in this game for a long fucking time and you've been around the block and you know everybody in this game and their mother. And so I want to unpack that one a little bit because hearing you say it is so validated, incredible from all the experience that you have and what you see. And so um, can we expound on that one a little bit in like the, the complications of that mistake and like what to really focus on? Because I know for me, a lot of the questions that I get asked with people I coach is they're spending a lot of time like nuanced in the weeds, analyzing the Mm -hmm. weeds, adding more weeds, but they're not doing anything (laughs) on the front that's going to actually help mitigate that. So can you expand on that a little bit because I love how you said it and it landed.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that um, first and foremost, uh, you need to be clear on what drives revenue in your business and what what activities are actually doing it. And you really need to assess that on, on an ongoing basis, right? When you do whatever planning you do, if it's as simple as, you know, Sunday nights or Friday afternoons or Monday mornings, you look at what's on your calendar and think about how you're going to spend your time. You got to segment that into what's actually growing the business. Um, it's really easy to trick yourself into believing that a bunch of bullshit is going to grow your business or that it's important. Um, it, but the, but the core here is, uh, and you'll uh, let me, I'll speak from the easy pay direct perspective for a second, because it's easy to illustrate that. And then I'll speak from my own. Um, from an EPD perspective, uh, clients that are under um, 300 grand a year, and even more if they're under 100 grand a year, we get a disproportionate amount of calls from those clients. Like I'm talking 10 times as many calls from those clients than we do people that are over a million a year. Now, if you're a business owner and you just heard that and you're doing less than 100 grand a year, or 300 or 500 or whatever, the lesson you should take from that is that your counterparts, these other entrepreneurs that are doing better than you are not focused on what you're focused on, right? If the hundred thousand dollar a year entrepreneur calls us 10 times a month or a year, and the million dollar entrepreneur calls us once a year, that should tell you that their focal point is something else. Um, and in, in our case, those calls are usually like, Hey, I ran this transaction for $5,000 and I got charged X instead of X minus one right? And it's like, hey, man, you're just focused on the wrong thing. And look, I don't care whether we make an extra dollar on you. The point as an entrepreneur is you're focused on the wrong thing. Um, And my journey is that I refer to myself as a uh, recovering perfectionist. (laughs) Yeah, I want everything to be perfect, right? Inherently, I grew up that way. I will both credit and blame my father for this. Uh, Thank you, Thomas. Um, Thanks, Tom. Yep. Uh, it's, it's been a fantastic asset in a lot of areas, right? I strive for excellence. Um, and when you are growing specifically, when you are growing quickly, uh, perfection is the enemy of greatness. Uh, and to have a standard of perfection is to have no standards at all. You're never going to get there. Fucking let it go, right? Get V1 done and move to V2. I'm sorry, then probably move to V1 of something else and you'll get back to V2. Never, you know?
0: I love that. You, say, you said, you said perfection, right. the enemy of greatness. What was the second part of that?
2: Um, the second part of that was a quote that I read on the wall in a bar in Windsor, Ontario, which it's is across the bridge from Detroit. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I wish I knew who it was, but it was to have a standard of perfection is to have no standards at all.
0: Yeah, I love it. I actually, um, I was talking to Anthony trucks yesterday and, uh, he said something so resonant. He said, in order to succeed, you have to be at peace with the pieces. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. And I was like, write that one down, put that on a t-shirt and remind me. But, you know, I think in this and, and what I love is like your experiences. You've been in this game a long time. And even listening to like your endurance adventures and the things like that, like you're like, I have to live in that world. I can't get out of that world. Right. Just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing to do or I should stop doing it. And in business and in entrepreneurship, like what you were just saying is like, you have to know what moves the needle in your business and you need to look at it often. You have to audit your time. Like you even reference like once a week on Sunday, where am I spending my time? But I was the same way, like the perfectionism of like everything's perfect. Every tech stack works. Everybody comes in like designing this ideal world ended up costing me and losing me about 50 grand a month because I was so romantic about how perfect it looked that I was yeah. missing all of the things that were out there. and my favorite thing now i'm like fuck it it's always guaranteed to break like always like there's no way to mitigate this and so um now that you are in that boat you're in that boat now as a ceo you're balancing like vision and execution and even at like your level you guys are going through like a massive migration how do you mm-hmm. balance you know taking a look at that like you get 10 10 to 1 calls of these entrepreneurs that aren't even qualified and where they want to go right and that takes a lot of like team capacity And then you have like the right ones that come in. So now as like a CEO, like how do you balance your time to make sure that you're driving the needle and driving revenue and understanding these things? Because like when you have, however many customers you have and clients you have, changing a tech platform could be like a year's project, right? So what's the mindset and the things that you look for in that now? And how do you balance that old perfectionism, which doesn't belong, but like making sure you're focused on what matters?
2: Um. I think this, the, the, the simple thing that I'm about to say is also the hardest, uh, which is right. Uh, it's what can you let hit the floor? What can you just not do? And it's the hardest because in our case, for example, um, I could say, man, we just don't work with clients that are under half a million a year. That's it done. We will lose that revenue. But quite honestly, that choice would probably serve us very well. My, my inherent, so, and that's not what we do, right? I know it's but, what you do, yes. <laughs> but it, but it, but it could be. And so the other in, in our choice has been, how do we look at, uh, because if I'm going to work with the clients that are under that amount, they also need to be served and they need to feel like they're being served and they need to have a world-class experience. Um, and I need to cultivate an internal team that is going to respect that and want to work with those people too, and want to help them. Uh, and it, despite some of the questions being remedial relative to, you know, the upper end clients that don't ask those questions. Um, so, uh, I think the, the other is how do you automate away some of that, right? And how do you position, um, that product differently? And so we want to, you know, do the knowledge based stuff as much as possible. We want to create automated solutions for those people. We want to create a different client experience that isn't as high touch and maybe gives the answers automatically, um, that we think we're gonna, uh, they're gonna have, or that we know they're gonna have. Um, and that's, that's been our approach is, you know, if you've got all these flags and we've got this, uh, our onboarding platform is called EMAP. It's the electronic merchant application portal and the onboarding process is ha, has a whole bunch of um logic built into it and a few of the flags that are set are based on you know industry type marketing model volume um experience a whole bunch of stuff uh and then we can decide what client experience that person is going to have based on what kind of business they have where they are in their journey
0: yeah i um i love this and uh i'm going to talk for a minute because This is something I say all the time. I say my job isn't to find my ideal clients, it's to create my ideal client. Right. And so when I Uh think about revenue, like revenue generating activities, I actually split them up into two buckets. I have a revenue generating activity and I have a relationship generating activity Mm. and I look at them equal, right? Like for me in what I do, and I think you're the same um, revenue is important for me, but relationships are just equally as important to me. And I love that you say that. So one of the reasons I'm saying this is Brad is incredible. Like I can have Joe Schmo on the, on the street, come up to me with a problem. And I know Brad's not going to ask me who they are, how much money they make. I'll send an intro and they'll get taken care of. And I feel like it's a testament coming all the way back to like by design of like looking at that one sheet or like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this and willing to protect those relationships over everything. Knowing that it'll turn into referrals, it'll turn into revenue, it'll turn into those things down the road. And so I absolutely love that. So number one, thanks for being an example. Number two, thanks for fucking doing it right. Number three, thanks for caring. It's incredible. And so now I know why my wife now, what, nine years ago, she's like, you should know Brad as we're standing in line for coffee.
2: I was like, well, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I just, uh, look, I don't, I don't believe in altruism. I don't think people are selfless. I don't think that they do things for the greater good. At the end of the day, even the the person that you perceive to be the most selfless, they're doing it cuz it makes them fucking feel good. Fuck yeah. Right? And <laughs> yes. so in inside a business, you know, it serves me and it serves the company to put relationships first. Mm-hmm. Um and so I you know, it, it, don't be mistaken, right? I'm not doing this for the greater good of humanity, right? This is a profitable, uh, driven organization. And it's just clear to me that, uh, you know, serving the staff at the highest level and trying to cultivate a culture and community internally where the staff is taken care of serving, um, our clients at the highest level, regardless of their size and volume and serving our vendors, our partners at the highest level, regardless of, um, challenges that we have. That's what makes all of it. Uh, as profitable as possible and also makes it more fucking fun. Yeah. You know, yes, I don't don't want friction. And then the points that you said are how they serve us, uh, very directly, which is, you know, sometimes we get somebody that comes in and it's a $10,000 a month business. Um, but guess what? Bob also has an $8 million a year business and he just didn't vocalize it. Right. This is just his new startup that he's doing to try something on the side. So you're going to disregard Bob because he has a $10,000 business? No, it's a terrible decision.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I love, and I actually you said something I want to ask about, right? Because like what I love is that you, how big is your team, by the way? Like how many people do you guys have on your team?
2: About 20. So we've got maybe 10, 12 in-house and then the other, others are distributed.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, the reason I'm asking, right, is because like when I, I've known you for a long time, I meet mean, you. You embody everything. You embody the relationship. You embody the value. You embody all of it. Like, you have a movement around what you stand for, and then you have an experience that you want to create for your customers. How do you go about managing that culture so that your staff and your team, whether it's a team of one or a team of twenty, embodies the same beliefs and can act on their own accord to execute those beliefs? Yeah, um, I'm a terrible person to ask that. <laughs> I know, but you also do it. So I feel like there's some wisdom wrapped up in there.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that um, the. Uh, you know, I think I'm very much in the middle of that journey. And I think that that's the uh, that's the journey of growth. And one of our core values is growth and uh, internally. And I I don't have a great answer to that. I, I can tell you that the, what I'm living in right now is getting people on the team that do a better job in the areas that I'm deficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is management. Uh, I'm a, I'm a great leader uh, and I'm a, um, you know, uh, driven relationship person. I'm a pretty mediocre manager uh, because I have this general mentality of like, why the fuck aren't you doing your job? Yeah like just, just fucking do it what are you talking about uh and th- there needs to be some fuzzy gloves on sometimes and uh i'm not not great at the fuzzy gloves uh when i'm when I'm in execution mode
0: oh you're, you're mediocre i'm horrible I, <laughs> i'm amazing at leading but like yeah i that's why ashley's on my team her her self named title is ce ashley O. she's like the mom of the team <laughs> and managing everybody and i was like cool i was like we'll keep we'll keep that Keep that going right now. And so um, now earlier, and and I want to talk about this. I did an entire podcast on this, but you're, you're kind of living proof of this concept of like by design, right? Like my life by design, my business by design, like you talk about environment, you talk about creating personal accountability and you're in a space now where you can basically do whatever the fuck you want, right? And the level of personal accountability required to maintain focus on the things that matter is probably a little bit greater. So like what are some of the things that you do to set yourself up to win to hold you accountable, whether it's in your office, your rituals, your habits, like what are some of your go tos that like keep you in the focus of doing what you want to do and keep you accountable to doing it?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that the the biggest thing at the core is pre plan things and block things out. Right. So I have. um days that are focused on certain activities, right? So on Mondays, i focus on operations on Tuesdays, uh, I focus on marketing, uh, Wednesdays, it's marketing and sales, Thursdays is operations, um, and Fridays I try to reserve for strategy, uh, and also sales, but having those containers, um, helps me, both helps me schedule and stay in line and make sure that I'm hitting the boxes, checking the boxes and also helps my assistant. Uh, and other people on the team that are trying to fill my schedule. Um, So I think at the core, it's, it's like elements of planning. Uh, Then it's other guiding rules and guiding principles. Um, I'm a firm believer that it is within discipline and structure that you find flexibility and freedom. And the, the, the most chaotic um, anxiety-ridden space that you can possibly be in that totally lacks freedom is having no structure is having infinite decisions. Um, and so these parameters that you put in place are what allow you to have accountability and, um, create growth and do whatever the fuck you want in your life. Um, so one of them, for example, is I don't drink on Sundays. Um, I do drink. I like to drink. Um, it's very social. It's a fun lubricant. Um, I'm a fan. But I don't do it on Sundays because I need that reset day. And I, I need it to not, I, I cannot be off point on Mondays. Um, so, and, and by the way, especially when you're in a, you know, young, fun tech downtown community, um, with unlimited options, Sunday fun day's real and brunch invitations are real, uh, <laughs> and I love them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's an easy rule to have. And sometimes, you know, you're I'm um, fought with violating it, uh, or with the internal struggle, of violating it. But it, it, again, is those parameters and structure that allow the freedom in other areas of life.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. I feel like in Austin, I think Angie, my friend, Angie Lee said this, she's like, basically once I moved to Austin, I became a professional friend. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like an entire new role because there's always a baby shower, an event in the park, a social gathering. Like it is mm-hmm. such a, concentrated amount of people. So I have a question. I actually had never asked anybody this, but I, you're somebody I highly respect. I admire on on all fronts, on the personal front, the business front, the way that you think. Where do you go to learn, like to get your information? Like, do you have a intentional consumption? Do you read books? Do you try to balance? Like for me, and, and it's easier to say this, Like, I have a rule that like I have to earn the right to consume. And so if I want to consume, I have to create first, right? Because yeah. if I'm consuming, I'm, I'm technically building somebody else's vision. And I just, for me, that accountability is like, oh, if I want to watch a YouTube video later on X, cool, let me go record two podcasts of my own first. And I kind of earn that right. And I'll pick up books and things like that. But I would be curious to know, like, how do you get your knowledge? How do you learn? Like, what do you look for? Do you go out intentionally and like try to find a book? to solve a problem, or do you kind of like window shop? I'd be actually curious to know.
2: Um, I heard uh, I heard Ryan Holiday say the other day, and I've heard this uh, this notion before, but I heard him say, uh, if you wanna be an interesting writer, you have to be an interesting person and you have to lead an interesting life. And so, you know, relative to content production, uh, versus ingestion. Um, I believe that I have to be in a place where I'm consuming other people's stuff to get new ideas. And I have to be around interesting people to get new ideas. Um, and kind of back to relationships. I, you know, I, I'm a part of a number of different entrepreneurial groups. I don't need to sit in the fucking room to be getting what I need to out of those exchanges. I don't even need to sit in the room to learn, um, subject matter expertise, right? When I'm sitting at the bar or on the beach or on a run with another entrepreneur that is similar, that's where I learn and grow, right? Because it's where I get a human connection with somebody I respect. And where you started, this was around, uh, something around, uh, basically vetting content, right? And how do you make sure that you get good, good information in, um, And I I used to chip away at this stuff, uh, chip away at people's armor. And as soon as I found a chink in the armor, I was like, oh, disregard. That guy's full of shit. You know, I found the fail point. (laughs) Uh, And as I got older, uh, I started to get better at recognizing that while somebody, while we all seem to be full of shit in some area when we get pushed on something. Most of us, certainly high performers, are really good in some other area. And if I can find that thing, that's the thing I want to hear about. And I might have to sift through the other bullshit you're going to say, but let me learn about this one thing. Um, But I think directly to your answer, uh, I try to each month look at what my goals are for the month uh, and then align my reading material with my objectives for the month and say, hey, I'm going to be involved in sales this month or building out a sales platform or I'm going to be heavy in marketing this month. What can I find that's going to serve me uh, from that perspective?
0: Yeah, I love that. And it's actually when you answered that before, like I realized, like I do a lot of the same things. Like I extract knowledge from my network by osmosis, right? Like every time I'm in town, I'm like, hey, Brad, I'm going to swing by the office. We'll catch up for 30 minutes. I'll pick up a nugget. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go get coffee. I'm going to go, you know, so it's the relationships that create this positive environment that allow me to like lean in and do it. And I love that. And then I also love, also, and, and you said this, and I'm going to summarize this for everybody listening. Uh, shelf help does us no good, but thinking about like what your goals are for the month, planning out your day, coming down and be like, you know what, this month, I'm going to be focusing on short-term content. What's like one to three nuggets that I can pick up to be messy? What can I let hit the floor? And what can I add into my ecosystem to kind of serve that need to go? So I, I love that. I love that.
2: Um, well, the but- the other major one, yeah, sorry. The other major one I'd be remiss to not mention is... Beyond a Million is my podcast because it like truly that is the largest educational platform that I possibly could have. Right. And it, and it occurred to me, um, it serves tons of purposes for us, but you know, it is Beyond a Million is designed to, um, teach me sales, marketing, operations, technology, and taxation strategies for eight, nine and 10 figure companies. Right. All I do is interview these, you know, eight, nine, 10 figure entrepreneurs around those tactics. And it's totally selfish because I want to learn the things that are working for them. Right. (laughs) And the, from the perspective, from where I sit, right. Many of these people are clients. I know their financials, right. Because EasyPayDirect gets to know those things. So I get these heavily vetted people that I know are executing. Um, now the, the, those are not always in line with what I'm actually focused on. Uh, because it's kind of who I can, you know, what the booking schedule is like when we book it out ahead. But, um uh, but that's the other major place that I go to, to learn. And this is just diving in with experts and
0: asking. I'd feel like that's like 95% of my consumption of like, is just interviewing people like you. like, I literally have like a full page of notes of things that you said that are like, oh, reminders for me, or they're better structure, or that's a new model to use, or A different perspective to then go turn around and like I'm gonna open a Slack message to the team when we're done, and I'm like, hey, by the way, on the next team call, we're gonna do boom, 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 check in on boom, 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 and make sure we align. and And I think it really boils down to to kind of start landing this at the very beginning. It's kind of beautiful to witness, like in hearing about Easy Pay Direct and how you get here and your podcast and what you do. Like by design, is like relationships are number one, and they're always at the forefront or the undertow of everything that comes down, and even to the podcast, like. You get them at Easy Pay Direct, their clients, their friend circle, then you get to extract their knowledge. And so utilizing this intentionality of creating unique experiences, getting emotionally engaged with people and and like being intentional. And and I'll say this for everybody. The secret to relationships for me is intentionality. It's Mm -hmm. when somebody can see or feel that you went one step further than like, let's just meet for coffee or like, boom, boom, boom. It stands out incredibly powerfully. And it makes such a big difference. Like, I, I mean, I actually didn't talk to Brad for like two years. I think like most of COVID, and I was like, Brad, he's like, oh, dope. And like, you can pick up like that best friend that's left off. Like it's not this obligation of like checking a box. It's the intentionality behind it that makes it so powerful. So I love that, man. So I would have start landing this plane so I can respect your time and get ready for another one. I, um, I like to ask this question because like this thing is loaded with knowledge. Uh, and by the way, if anybody's wondering, uh, go do hard physical shit. Rad talked about this earlier. The relationship with yourself is like one of the most powerful things. And I, I, I'm going to say this because I have what I build in. I, I call it my SOS procedures, right? I teach this lighthouse model, right? And I know like no matter what in my day, Sometime in the day or week with what would I run? I'm going to get smashed with a roadblock, right? I'm going to get an emotional reaction in my body. I'm going to have like bad news. Like my wife lost her wallet last Tuesday. It's been seven days. We haven't found it yet. It's so crazy that I can run multi-million-dollar businesses in a lost wallet. Put me on fucking emotional tilt. Like I'm like, what's going on? And so I have this like inner, I have this SOS. I have like my inner tools. Then I have my inner circle and my outer circle. And my fail safe, like breath work, meditation, walking, those are great. The number one thing that works every single time is when I throw my shoes and I go hike up a mountain, no phone, no, nothing like a prolonged, like you talked about a prolonged period where I'm, I'm going to have to be home in the circumstance. And I get comfortable being home in that circumstance. I get all my best ideas, the most clarity, the most emotional relief, the most resolve in doing that. And so. For anybody listening, um, there's an incredible book called The Comfort Crisis, and it talks about this, and it talks about the term rasogi, which is a, a Japanese term to define what this is, and I would highly recommend it because it's probably one of the most powerful tools I've ever had, so just want to throw my two cents into my own podcast. And so then with, with that being said, I like to ask this question, and, and I feel like you're a man of principle, you're a man of resolve, like you're living this life, but I want you to imagine everybody listening to this show just got men in black. Like they forgot everything that was heard, everything that was said, or they're tuning in on this moment. And you have the ability to tattoo some wisdom on their soul that they're going to take with them for the rest of their life. What would your tattoo wisdom be?
2: Man, that's so fucking heavy. Well, you got to drop that on me right now? I got to think about like, what what are they going to carry for the rest of their life? Jesus. (laughs) Uh, How how about about this? Um, The things that you put into habit today will create who you're going to be 10 years from now. And so you need to start building the habits right now, and they don't have to be huge. But if you want to be healthy, have a healthy meal a day, replace one of your bullshit meals with a healthy meal a day. That's step one. You can build on that later, but you need to start the fucking habit and do the V1 now and build on it later. But those things, because what happens as you get really busy in life is when you're an entrepreneur and things are expanding, expanding, expanding. Um, you don't know when you're going to get back to that one focal point, but if you can put it on cruise control, you will have made progress by the time you get back. Um, when I go back and look at goal sheets from, you know, it's 2022 right now. If I look at like 2018, half of it is just done because I wrote it down and I started to take a step in that direction. And even if I lost focus along the way and shifted my goals, I still built a habit, put some momentum to it. I'm like, oh man, that thing just got done. That's amazing. So I'd say do it now. You know, do something now to move towards.
0: I love that. That's that's good, deep tattoo wisdom for them to take forever. So like it worked. So like, <coughs> fuck, yeah. I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I asked. So uh, um, I was just on your show, which I'm stoked for that to come out. So can you let everybody yes. in the name of your podcast, where to find it, and the best place to connect with you?
2: Yeah, it's beyond a million. You can get it on all the podcast platforms or beyond dot com, because I have not yet convinced the owner of beyond a million to give me their URL, <laughs> but it'll happen. It's just uh, a matter
0: of time before you create a unique experience and an emotional engagement so that they give <laughs> it over.
2: I love it. I love it. That's true. Um, and then you can, uh, you know, you can check me on social, uh, it's at Brad Weimer, W E I M E R T. Um. I kind of post my life in shenanigans and then clips from beyond a million, uh, on uh, Instagram mostly. So, um, that's me and my world. And certainly if you need help with, uh, e-commerce or online business, you know, EasyPayDirects got you.
0: They got you. They got every one of my clients, every single one of them. <laughs> it's like my number one question. I'm like, where are you processing? And they're like, I'm like, nope, uh, go. They're like, oh, and I'm, I. I'm like, nope, go. They're like, oh. I'm like, nope, go, go, Love just it. go, just go. I love it. Yeah. And and by the way, like for the record, uh, for everybody listening, and I'm glad you said about who qualifies earlier, because when I was doing, you know, 200 grand a year, it was no big deal. But I remember I did a launch and yep. it blew everything out of the water and it went from like 20 grand a month to like 300 grand in a day. Yep. And it took me 90 days to get my money. I had to prove I wasn't a thief and I wasn't stealing from people. And it wasn't like, oh, we're here for you. It's like, no, you're I'm the stayed. criminal you're guilty until you prove we're innocent. And I was like, I have people to pay. I have like things to go on. And so I learned those lessons the hard way. So take heed with what was said. So man, thank you so much. We'll have to do round two. I will, I'll shoot you a text and let you know what I'm in Austin, but thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here, for doing what you do, for living the way that you live and like actually just fucking caring about people. It means a lot and I appreciate it.
2: Thanks man. It's great to connect always looking forward to seeing you in person
0: yes sir alright everybody so without further ado I'm going to cue the intro so go check out Beyond a Million go follow him on the socials you'll see him doing crazy shit it'll only be a matter of time because we poked that bear a few times today before he announces some massive challenge <laughs> that we don't know is coming yet and uh, make sure uh, you stay tuned so remember relationships will always beat algorithms you either see me in the next episode or you'll hear me in your ear bowls but either way we're out
1: thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show